Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your support. If you're here for the first time, welcome. In either case, listeners, we need you. Subscribe to Family Confidential on iTunes at bit.ly slash f-a-m-c-o-n-f, where you can also rate this podcast. The more ratings we get, the higher the rankings, and then more people will find out about the awesome parenting resources you can get here. Because tomorrow is Thanksgiving, we are spending the day in the kitchen rather than in the recording studio. But no fear, we are serving up a rebroadcast of one of our most popular podcasts, my May 2014 interview with Glennon Doyle Melton, author of the New York Times bestseller, Carry On Warrior, Embracing Your Messy, Beautiful Life. Hi, Glennon, and welcome to Family Confidential. Annie, hi. Thank you, and welcome to my closet office. I call it my office. I love it. Wow, it's so much fun to be able to kind of look at everything so organized, and I wasn't expecting you to be organized. You oh, see my, my gosh. <laughs> thank you. That's the first time I've ever been accused of being organized. I'm You're accused of- Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm impressed. How do you get it so neat? Because but- <laughs> I live in here. This, ah. I live in this little closet because it's the only place in my home where people will stay out. So I work from here. I get dressed in here. This is my little world. Okay. So let me hear you. It sounds like people stay out of this and that's why you can keep it organized because really it's other people who are messing up your life, not you. Correct? Right? That's, that's really my whole message. <laughs> that's what I got from your book. <laughs> Carry on, warrior. Um, you know, it's embracing everyone else's problem. It's everyone else's problem. So that's why it's easy to embrace your messy, beautiful life. Okay. So, um, I first heard about you when someone pointed me to a TED talk video that you did. Yes. And, um, I loved it, especially because obviously you're being so honest, which is something that we uh, rarely see. When people put themselves out there, we always want to look our best and we want to, you know, portray ourselves as someone who's got it together. You know, a few years ago, I had the honor of interviewing Rachel Simmons, who is a fabulous writer and a real student of girl culture. And uh, she wrote a book called The Curse of the Good Girl. And she talks about good girls versus real girls. And that really resonated a lot. For me when I was reading your book about authenticity and being real and especially after you've come through some very harsh realities that desire to like cover it all up and stuff like that so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your mess mm-hmm. <laughs> and how you decided you didn't want to live in that level of mess anymore right well I mean, I will tell you that I, when I can, when I look back on it now, the way that I think of my life is that when I was eight years old, I just decided for some reason that I wasn't going to live in the real world, that it was kind of a scary, dangerous place where I didn't fit in and didn't understand the rules. And so I did what addicts do. We just sort of retreat into this little world of addiction. And it's kind of a sad, lonely world too, but it's safe for us because we kind of make our own rules. So I became bulimic when I was eight. As an eight-year-old, that that's pretty early, isn't it? And oh, it's extremely early. I am precocious. A, I am an overachiever <laughs> and very advanced. And so, yes, yes, very early. I know I have an eight-year-old now, and I just look at her and I can't even believe that that's the age I was. Yeah. So anyway, as addiction does, it just, I never got it addressed fully. And so, um, I just, it morphed into other addictions. And so I became an alcoholic in college 
and lived that way for a really long time. And, you know, I mean, looking back on it now, I think I just, I, I felt like when I was eight years old, that there was some big flaw that I had, that I had to hide, you know, that I was different than everybody else. Cause I wasn't perfect and I didn't feel like I fit in and I was lonely and angry and none of these things were acceptable. Right. Right. And now when I look back on it, I wonder, I, I really don't think there was ever anything wrong with me. You know, <laughs> I don't, oh I, I never needed to go down this road. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I think that I was an extremely sensitive human being, meaning sensitive, uh, sensitive, meaning that I noticed what was, um, things that were wrong in the world and I was affected by them. Right. And so I don't know, recently I was doing it. I got sober when I was 25. Um, and I found out I was pregnant with my first baby and I just started the long road of recovery from that day on mother's day, actually, um, 12 years ago, I found out I was pregnant and, um, you know, now, I don't know, I did a, an interview recently with, and I brought up my addiction and the reporter said, oh, well, that's all in your past. You know, let's, you're better now. Let's, let's move forward. Mm -hmm. And I was so mad, Annie, and I couldn't figure out why I was mad until later when I figured out, you know, the sensitivity that led me into addiction, that put me into hiding is the exact same sensitivity that leads me into writing the way I do and that leads me to, to lead this community of women at Monastery the way I do. And that, that, that it's the fuel for my nonprofit work and it's the way that I connect with people. And so I just, I feel like I'm, I'm exactly the same girl as I was when I was eight years old. I just, um, instead of, you know, retreating into this unhealthy world of addiction. Now I kind of retreat into this extremely wonderful, healthy world that I've built at Monastery and with my family and with my Sunday school class. That's my other favorite place to be with my little Sunday school class. So I'm, I, I'm still that girl. I've just found healthier ways to be my sensitive self. So when, and it was kind of dismissed by this journalist who was talking to you, that's in your past. You say, well, wait a minute, you know, that's really the core of who I am, not the unhealthy behavior, but the thing that drove me there. And I love what you're saying about sensitivity. What it means to me is responsiveness to the environment. And true, sometimes we need to manage that in ways that allow us to live mm -hmm. and to make healthy choices and to notice what's around us. Because if we're like this all the time, because we're overly sensitive to the environment, either the... Um, physical environment or the social environment or a combination of both, then we, we can't be as helpful right. as right. we want to be. And I'm, I'm absolutely here to say that all of us have opportunities to be helpful. As far as I'm concerned, that's the only dance in town. We're here to help. <laughs> yes. Yes. And to notice too, I mean, I just did a, a big event last weekend for a, a, a a new friend that I met on Monastery who lost her sister to addiction. And I talked a lot about the idea how of how um, a long time ago when coal miners went down in the mines, they'd bring a canary with them in a birdcage. Yeah. And the canary would, uh, they brought it down because the canary was more sensitive to poison in the air than the miners were. Okay. And so when the canary stopped singing, that would be their signal. And then when they di the canary died, they knew it was time to get out of the mines. Yeah. And I think that there are some people in our society who really do, they're sort of like canaries, that they can notice, um, you know, poisons in the air faster than other people can. Good. And I think if those canary type people are given, you know, worlds that make sense to them, like faith and art, um, I think that they can thrive. 
But, um, you know, I, man, I just think that I got a call the other day from a friend who was devastated because she just found out that her daughter was um, showing some signs of anorexia. And I was actually, when I got the call, I was in a grocery store line and my friend was saying, I, where, why is this happening? How, why is she acting like this? Why, 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 why? And I was looking at the, I was staring at the magazines across. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. Uh -huh. I mean, she's, why, why, why? And I'm looking, it's like page after page of just emaciated women held yes. up as the epitome of health and beauty. Yes. And I thought. Of course, I didn't say this to her on the phone because it wasn't the appropriate time. But I thought, she's just noticing. She's just noticing the messages that she's getting from all sure. over the place. And sometimes it's not the family. You know, sometimes it's the world that's sending yeah. these messages. Yeah. She's a canary. I, I talk about that often with parents. You know, I'm, I am often surprised, delighted, but surprised when girls especially grow up with a healthy self-image. <laughs> Because there's so much in the culture that is pushing them in the other direction. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this mission that you talk about in your book, um, Carry On Warrior, about, um, okay, I'm going to be a truth teller. And you, you came to a point where you decided that your mission was to help people by telling them the truth of your struggle, which would hopefully encourage them to be more honest about their own lives um, and come out from those places that were dark and debilitating. So I'd like to ask you to please read a little bit from your book, page 52, yes. um, where you have this epiphany kind of like, okay, um, I'm going to be real whenever I have a chance to. Okay. Okay. Um, I told Craig I was going to start introducing my secret self to other moms at the playground and the mall. The introduction would sound something like this. Hi. I'm Glennon. I'm a recovering, well, everything. And most recently, I've been struggling with isolation and intimacy with my husband. And I've also been getting quite angry with my kids for no reason. I feel awful about these things, but yoga is helping. Also, deep breaths and baths. How are you? <laughs> if she answered honestly, great, new friend. And if she ran away, great too. At least we'd know right away that we didn't match. I thought it was a brilliant, efficient plan. And it is. And yet, what did your sister tell you when you shared that plan with her about this new openness? And, you know, I'm just going to go for it and just be myself, open and honest with everyone I meet. What did your sister tell you? Right. So my sister is sort of my um, steadying force in my life. And she suggested to me that perhaps this was a bit of an overcorrection, that staying in deep hiding my entire life, coming out of that, maybe it didn't mean that I needed to walk around and accost unsuspecting strangers with my entire story. Um, and so, I, you know, then I just had to learn the, the boundaries of yeah. when and where to share and how to share truth without kind of stepping over everybody else's boundaries too. Right. And this is a really important lesson for all of us. I mean, there are people who come and hear you speak and they, they know if they've done their homework a little bit. And even if they haven't, I think on some psychic level, they understand that going to hear Glenn and Melton speak is an experience of opening up and they have bought a ticket 
for, for this, literally. Yes. There's some people, like you say, you know, the mom is trying to help her kid get across the monkey bars. It's not buy necessarily t- buy a ticket. No, she's just trying to get through the day, right? Yeah. So exactly, yeah. <laughs> so now the beauty is I've worked with that too, right? Now mm-hmm. I have places where if you come, if you come to my blog, if you come to my book, if you come to hear me speak, you're going to get all the truth telling. And if you don't, I will politely leave you alone. But I also feel like part of my life's work is sort of being an open presence for people. I mean, this whole truth telling thing is not at all restricted to my work. Like, I don't honestly even know sometimes where the line is between just my life and my work. And um, you know, how this all started was one day at church, my minister asked me to, um, give my speech, give my story on stage. And, and I had never shared openly before about a lot of my struggles. And after church that day, there was a line of people, I'm sorry, a line of people lined up afterwards who I had known for years, but I had never known the things that they were telling me that were like their deepest feelings and struggles and triumphs. Yeah. And I thought, this is amazing how we can know each other. I mean, we called each other church family. And I didn't know. I didn't know them. It was the first day that I, I really started to get to know them. So I think of it as a way of life and not just work. And it's so empowering for the people who hear you. I've had this experience myself. When you are in the presence of someone who is mm, authentic and um confident and grounded that gives you permission to be that way and i think we're all longing to be that way in certain circumstances at least to have it under control so that you have the key to the the door to the closet you can choose to come out or invite people in and see the mess not that your closet's messy it is not <laughs> but the idea being that i'm not stuck in in Oversharing, and I'm also not stuck in hiding, which I think that kind of fluidity really is the kind of balance, yeah. healthy balance that you're talking about. Yeah, there was this moment when I started writing my stories um, online, and my dad, who's now one of my biggest fans, he called me one day and he said, "Well, he actually his real words were Jesus, Mary, and Joseph Clennon. He just read a story I wrote. He said, "Don't you just think there are some things that you should take to the grave?" And it was this very, because I had just written a very personal story online. Mm-hmm. And it was this moment for me. I mean, I listened to my dad and I just thought, no, no, I don't think that there's anything that we have to take with us to the grave. I don't think that there's any part of our human experience that is so shameful and horrible that it has to be hidden away from everyone. I've lived in hiding for too long and I don't think, I don't think that there was ever anything wrong with me. I think all the pain came from the hiding. And so just this very important moment where I actually just, you know, I mean, telling your father that you feel like you're right and he's not, that's a big moment. That was a big moment for me. And, um, and, and I got to tell you, I mean, I just, I think for addicts and maybe for everybody, I think of the, you know how diabetics, they have to check their insulin levels each day. Like for me, I really feel like I have to check my shame levels. Like if there's anything that feels dark and icky inside of me, it's time to write it out because write it out, not write it out. <laughs> because I just feel like that's each day. If I just take the stuff that feels dark and heavy and pull it out into the light, it loses all of its power. 
over me. Now, this is really important, and I'm going to circle back to parenting because I know that you have three children at this point. We just celebrated Mom's Day yesterday, uh, and I hope you had a good one. Yeah, had a <laughs> and, good. and I'm thinking about um, girls again. I've been getting email from girls and boys, but predominantly girls for the last 17 years. So I'm kind of like an online tween teen advisor. And I see through their letters the pain and the suffering that comes from hiding those parts of themselves that they deem imperfect, not worthy, et cetera, et cetera. So I would like to know what tips you can give to parents of girls specifically today to help the parents teach their girls that they are worthy and that they really don't need to hide. Yeah. Well, the horrible, awful, terrible thing about parenting is that it doesn't matter what we say. I know. <laughs> if we're not doing it. It also doesn't matter much what other people say if you're not ready no, to, be, to listen. No, no. But if we were ready to listen right here and now, no, Glenna, well, here's what I think. Here's what I think about that. I don't think that our girls are going to believe for one hot second that they don't have to be perfect unless we stop acting like we have to be perfect. Ah, that's that. that's worth repeating. Please repeat it. Yeah, I don't think that our girls are going to believe for a hot second that they don't have to be perfect unless they see their moms embracing their imperfection, right? Okay, That's moms. What, they, we can read them 1,600 books. We can let them listen to 4 million TED Talks. We can talk and talk and talk. But if we're hiding all of our humanity from them in hopes that they will think that we are perfect... It's all mute. I mean, I, I truly, I, I, I find it so amazing because I talk to, to hundreds of mothers weekly and their biggest struggle is this feeling that they're, they're, they're flawed, that some, they're doing something wrong, that they're not perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And they're acting perfect for their kids. They beat themselves up if they accidentally yell. They beat themselves up if they're not, you know, at everything, doing everything all the time. And then I think if our biggest struggle is that we can't embrace imperfection, and I'm not even going to call it imperfection. I don't even like that word anymore. Humanity. Humanity. Thank you. That's what I was just, if we, because it's not, I, I think there's something wrong with calling ourselves imperfect too. That suggests that, that we're flawed. Like I don't, I think we might have to eventually put that away too. Yeah. I think if we can, I call it being brutal, right? Like life is brutal and life is beautiful. And so all of life is end both. And that's how I feel about us brutal, right? <laughs> if we cannot show them how to embrace all of it, they're just going to end up growing up being as miserable as we are because they're going to think, well, my mom was perfect. Why am I such a jerk? Why do I, why do I feel impatient with my kids? Why do I think marriage is hard? My mom did it so perfectly. Right. Well, that's because your mom was on 16 different antidepressants and was stressed out every day and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I feel I'm on antidepressants too. I have no, nothing against that. I'm just saying that I really feel like we have to show our girls that it is okay to be angry, that it is okay to be lonely. It is okay to feel lonely all the time. I always have this sort of deep loneliness in myself that I don't think will ever go away. Mm -hmm. I've stopped thinking that that's a tragic flaw that has to be fixed. Yeah. And I just use it as fuel. But I want my girls, I want my kids to grow up and know that being an adult does not mean, I mean, being an adult comes with tons of discomfort 
and it comes with pain and it comes with loneliness and betrayal and sadness and also tons of joy. But none of those uncomfortable feelings mean that you're doing anything wrong. It's just the whole human experience. It's it's the name of the game. And I think the people who play it in, in the fullest way, which is what I'm going for, <laughs> are the ones who aren't afraid to be afraid. Yes. And and that role modeling thing, it's like this is this is who I am. And you know, sometimes I'm scared, sometimes I get really angry and frustrated. Sometimes I, I say things that I later regret and I own up to it and you know, I'm a work in progress. That's that's Absolutely. all I can say. I'm I'm I, I loved your your little detour in the book when you were talking about smelly coffee guy at the yoga studio in your class because he was as much as a, of a teacher to you as the person who was actually the paid instructor there because you had to figure out how can I become in the midst of this annoyance and sometimes the annoyance is external and sometimes it's those um Negative voices inside of ourselves that are saying, no, you're not really that great. Oh, you're such a fraud. I mean, all that stuff. How do you stay calm, acknowledge it, and just keep doing what you know is the right thing? Yeah. Or don't even stay calm. I am really all right. calm. Blow up. <laughs> I am like, you know, not very calm to tell you the truth, but I, I, I just keep showing up all jacked up. That's my, I'm just going to keep showing up all jacked up. I feel like, I feel like I have whatever the day requires that that will, that it will be okay. As long as I keep showing up, I feel that way about, I mean, that's how I got sober. I just told myself I was just going to do the next right thing. Like when people would say to me one day at a time, it would scare the bejeez out of me because one day is long. I needed like the next right thing. And I feel like that's my um, strategy for parenting and for marriage and for friendship and for my career. I'm just going to keep showing up and keep doing the next right thing. And what I've found is that if you keep showing up and you keep just doing the next right thing, you eventually wake up and find out that all those things strung together turn into a pretty exciting, good life. Pretty damn good. (laughs) How about Okay. All right. Well, before we close, I would love to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners where they could find out more about you and your book and um, opportunities to see you perhaps in person. Yes. Wonderful. Well, you can find us at Momastery. It's like a monastery, but mom, M-O-M-A-S-T-E-R-Y.com. And that's a blog where 170,000 of us meet. It's it's amazing. You just have to come and experience the truth telling and laughs and tears there. It's a special place. Um, and then the book, Carry On Warrior, um, The Power of Embracing Your Messy, Beautiful Life is, it hit number three on the New York Times list. We're so excited. And it's oh, everything. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not bad for someone this messy, right? Who it's, works and lives in her closet. Great. <laughs> Um, and so that's at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and everywhere else. And yeah, I'm on all my speaking stuff is on the website and I, I love to see people in person and mostly get out of my house. So, um, those are my goals for being on the road. Wonderful. I want to thank you so much for, for being who you are in a very public way, because I know that it's inspirational to lots of people and it's, it's good work, Glennon. You've done good. You're doing good. Thank you, Annie. And you are so precious. I hope we get to work together again soon. This has been so fun. Good. Maybe the next time will be out of the closet, huh? Okay. Maybe. Slow. (laughs) Baby steps. 
<laughs> okay. You enjoy the rest of your day now. Thank you, Annie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit AnnieFox.com. Check out my new book, The Girls' Q&A Book on Friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. It's now available in print and for Kindle. What a perfect holiday gift for the 8- to 12-year-old girl in your life. She really wants nothing more than to feel confident dealing with friendship issues, and the girls' Q&A book on friendship can absolutely help with that. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Egg Plant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. Tune in next week, December 5th, when my guest will be Beth Engelman, founder of MommyOnAShoestring.com. Beth and I will be talking about creating great holiday fun without breaking the bank. Happy Thanksgiving from our family to yours. Until next time, happy parenting. Happy parenting.